Alright, go ahead and take your Bibles. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 tonight. Acts chapter 17. And this is a chapter I've preached uh, messages through this chapter before. Uh, we went through a lot of the stories in this chapter back when we were going through 1 Thessalonians. And uh, this chapter here gives a lot of context to help us understand things in 1 Thessalonians. So there's going to be some things that we're going to repeat, but um, at the same time, too, there's some other things, too, that we're going to look at that are very important just to help us understand a lot of things in the Bible. And hopefully, too, uh, I want you all to understand what the phrase, the Jew first, means. That's what I titled this one night, the Jew first. That phrase is used three times all in the book of Romans where it says the Jew first. And in the book of Romans, it doesn't go on to like explain necessarily why it's using that phrase. And so people just kind of make it mean whatever they want it to mean. And they typically try to make it, use it to prove how special the Jews are, which is not correct at all. And when you, uh, I think when we look at chapter 17, we can find out exactly what that phrase meant. And so understanding what's happening right here. We're going to kind of see a little more of a transition that's going to affect a lot of what happens in this chapter is going to affect a lot of what Paul writes about in his epistles. It's going to cause some things to change a little bit more and how things are progressing uh, in the church. So uh, we want to pay very close attention to these things. And so far, I've been making sure we all understand that, you know, chronologically in our Bible, what books of the New Testament have been written. And so far, the only one is maybe the book of James. And that's not for sure, but maybe the book of James. But between chapter 17 and 18, you know, it might be good just to write a note in there, First and Second Thessalonians. Because I'm going to show you too, that it's after this chapter when Paul would have sat down and wrote First and Second Thessalonians. And it really puts a lot of things in perspective. And so let's go ahead and start going through this chapter and some very interesting things. So it says, Now when they had passed through Am, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ, or the Messiah. So a couple of things we need to point out here. One, while Paul was in fact, the dispensationists are right, commissioned to go to the uncircumcision, it did not change the fact that he would always still try to give the Jews a chance and it was his practice and it was his custom to go to the Jews first. And it makes sense and we've talked about that. Why would you ignore the group of people that were waiting for the Messiah? Why would you ignore the people who had the scriptures, who had the oracles of God and not let them know that, hey, I know it's been several years, but we're just now finally getting to you and want you to know the Messiah has come. They would always go to the Jew first. It just, and the thing is, too, while Paul had a commission to go to the heathen, it doesn't change the fact that you know, and, and even though sometimes even today, missionaries or, or evangelists, they might have a target group that they go after. And you know what? That's fine. But at the end of the day, we never ignore a people group just because, you know, somebody is assigned to a certain people group doesn't mean he should ignore other people. You know, a lot of people get offended at a lot of black preachers that are out there and they'll have on their prayer cards reaching black America. Well, you know, I'm not offended by that because, you know, if you want to target, you know, black neighborhoods and you want and, and you want to try to start a church in a black neighborhood because you're trying to make a difference in black America. I don't have a problem with that unless they ignore white people that are in the area. Like, well, I was sent out to black America, so I'm going to ignore white people. No, that would be stupid. And Paul didn't need to ignore the Jews just because he was, you know, his primary focus was on the Gentiles. And so... Again, this is important because we see that Paul preached the exact same thing to the Jews that he did the Gentiles. Because all the dispensationalists want to tell you, Paul's your apostle. You know, the other apostles, they were for the Jews. That, and that's ridiculous. Paul, 
preach to both. And so it is okay for people to focus their mission to a specific people for their personal ministry. And it's okay for you to do that too. I'm going to be talking about this pretty soon. You know, it's okay for you to have like an area in the church where you kind of specialize. It's like your thing. That's your ministry. It's okay for you to have a certain group. Maybe somebody's like, you know, I want to reach, I want to do so. I want to have a ministry towards the drug addicts. You know, I want to reach people that are struggling with drugs and I want to help them get over these things. You know what? That is not wrong for you to do that. But you know, the thing is, don't try to force the church to be all about your thing that you're into. You've got some people in church, their thing, they're a soul winner. That's their thing. Okay, that's great. But you know what? Allow us to have other ministries too. Don't make the whole church about your thing. And we're, we're, and so at the, and at the end of the day too, even if you're trying to reach that group and God gives you a special gift and a special ministry towards a specific group, always remember you know, that you also have a commission to reach the whole world. So we never ignore a people. And, and, and I say all that because people do. They act like because Paul had a specific mission that, you know, other groups are kind of irrelevant. And that's just, that's just a huge stretch. Look at what it says. In, well, you don't have to turn over there, but in Acts 9.15, it says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he, talking about Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So, you know, Paul, yes, he was mainly used by God to go to the Gentiles, but you know what? He went to everybody too. And Paul going to the Jews, it was him following that pattern of going to the Jew first. Acts 13, 46 says, uh, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should have first been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And sometimes you can look at that and say, this is when Paul changed his ministry and went to the Gentiles. No, when Paul would go to a city, he would always go to the Jew first. But if they would reject him, then he would get to a point, it's like, okay, you know what? I'm done wasting my time with you. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to the Gentiles now. And we're going to see, even though he said that here in chapter 13, was Paul done with the Jew? No. He's still following that custom of going to the Jew first because they were the ones who were looking for the Messiah. They were the ones who had the word of God. And even after this chapter, we're going to see he's still doing the same thing. So, um, they were commissioned by the church at Jerusalem to go to the Jew first because within the Jewish communities also, there were always going to be people like Lydia in the previous chapter and Apollos, who I believe is in the next chapter, who were already saved, but they needed to be shown the way of God more perfectly or more completely. And as a people, they were waiting for the Messiah. And so you've got to let them know. That, you know, they, they're going to be the first people that you're going to go to. So the Jews of that generation, now get this. So that was the practice, go to the Jew first, right? So what preachers are doing today is they're trying to take those verses and say, it's still our responsibility to go to the Jew first. But it's like, but why? The Jews, they have, as a people, rejected. It made sense. It, back during that time, they were the true religion. They were the people of God. They had the oracles of God. Of course, when the Messiah comes, you know, all of a sudden the New Testament didn't magically appear in their Bible. So what you have to do, you've got to physically go and tell them. And that's exactly what they did. The Jews of the first century were reached with the gospel and many of them got saved. A remnant got saved. The rest apostatized. And now the Jews, we don't go to the Jew first today. We just go to the Jew also. Y'all understand that? That's how it is today. We just go to the Jew also because they're people. And they need to get saved like everybody else. But at the same time, they have rejected the Messiah as a whole. They have turned their back on the scriptures. And, and so 
Uh, there's no special, you know, there's no special treatment that they should be getting. So, um, it's important that you understand that's what the Jew first meant. And it, it, it applied in that day because they were in the will of God. They were the people of God. They were doing the things of God. And they needed to be shown that the Messiah had come. But when, after they rejected him, Paul didn't keep going with them, to him, did he? Paul didn't keep saying Jew first. He's like, okay, you know what? I did it. I went to you. You refusing. Now I'm going to the Gentile. And so when we, uh, you know, most places where we go to, the gospel's been there before. Y'all understand that, especially in America, pretty much, even if we went to New York, the most Jewish area, the gospel's been there before. It's just been run out. So it's a completely different situation now. So never fall for that. If anybody ever wants to just go and prove text, those three verses in Romans that says the Jew first and tell you that's where we got to go first. Don't fall for that. So verse 4 says, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. And there were always some Jews who would believe because, again, they were already a faith. If they were already, people were getting saved before Pentecost. People were getting saved before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were people in those synagogues who would hear the word of God read and they would believe the word of God and they would trust in that coming Messiah and they would have faith. And so God, whenever uh, an apostle would come and they would preach Jesus to them, of course they were going to receive it and they would receive it gladly. But there was a lot who were unbelieving and there were always Jews that were unsaved going all the way back to Moses. Nobody thinks Korah was saved. So nobody thinks Ahab was saved. So verse five, but the Jews which believe not moved with envy and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. I'm not even going to talk about this because I've preached about this before. We all know the news media is still doing the same thing today. Always riling up the homos against us. The certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Okay, what do we call those people today? LGBTQRSTD. I mean, that's what, that's what we call them. I just heard that this week and I had to use it. But verse 6, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren onto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. And they meant that as a bad thing, turning the world upside down. Like, they're changing everything. They're messing everything up. They're turning the world upside down. We look at that verse and we say, That's what we want to do. We want to turn the world upside down. And, uh, and this is not a literal thing. Okay, This is not a literal thing. This doesn't prove anything. Uh, this is just a figurative that they're just shaking things up. And uh, that's good. We ought to want to do that. And it says, Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus, accusing them of violating laws, trying to get the government mad at him too. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these sayings. The news media, they are always troubling everybody. They get everyone upset. You know, if it wasn't for the news media, most of our country wouldn't have even known we had a pandemic in 2020. They wouldn't have even known had they not been troubled. But, you know, most people, when it comes to most of the problems, that we're, I mean, all the racism that we're suffering from in this country... Do you know most people wouldn't even know we have a problem with racism if the news media wasn't troubling them about it? And you know what? Most people wouldn't even know, you know, our country, you know, they wouldn't even, you know, we're always hearing about all these LGBTQ RSTDs killing themselves because of all the bigotry and stuff. But you know what? Most of them wouldn't even know there was bigots out there if it wasn't for the news media. Because, you know, even most people who think negatively about them, they don't say anything about it. But the news media, they're always trying to find nobodies, you know, like myself, saying something. And then what do they do? Oh, man, just look at all this, you know, homophobia and stuff. It's like, and they do, you, you watch the people online, they act like homophobia is such a big problem in this country. And it's just like, I wish it was, <laughs> but it's not, it, it's not at all. It's so sad, but they, they still get everybody so fired up and every, and and people eat it up today because everybody wants to be a victim. Everybody needs to be a victim, especially if you're an LGBTQ RSTD, because of the fact, too, you know, you, you know, they don't want to admit their life is terrible because they're disgusting. 
so they need someone to blame. And they blame, they blame the Christians. They blame people like us. And we are not the reason that they're miserable. We are not the reason they're killing themselves. We're not the reason they have STDs. We're, we're not the reason for any of that stuff. But the news media, they get everybody all troubled. They get everybody doing stuff, you know, to our property and things. Somebody threw coffee or something all over our van the other day, too. Just, you know, I, don't, I don't know what the purpose of that was. But, you know, what, what could we have possibly done to them? The only thing we could have possibly done to them to aggravate them is maybe knock on their door. Some people don't like when you knock on their door. That's literally the most we could have possibly done. Chances are we hurt their feelings, not because they actually heard us say something, because they heard somebody say that we said something. That's just the way it is. And, you know, most of us, we're not even impressive enough to make enough of a stink to actually shake things up. It usually takes the Jews riling up the lewd fellows, the baser sort. And they're our biggest mouthpiece a lot of times, you know. And um, in some ways, they actually kind of help us and, and have helped us before. But uh, it's, just, it's interesting how nothing changes. And so it does. It says they, they turn the hearts of the people against them. And isn't it interesting, too, how Hollywood and the news media and, and people are, more and more people are saying it's conspiracy theory when you say it's Jews running those things. I don't know how that can be, but for years, those same people have been doing everything in their power to, to turn the hearts of men against Christians and at the same time toward perverts. Isn't it interesting how that works? And uh, unfortunately, it's working in a lot of places today. But, you know, we're going to continue ignoring that stuff. And you know what? And they'll say these that have turned the world upside down or these who are causing everybody to kill themselves or whatever, and have depression and suicidal thoughts. You know, whatever they've got to say to get the mob riled up, they'll say it. But you know what? We're just preaching the truth, and nothing's going to change that. And so it says, When they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And you might remember a message I preached a while back, but remember, those who were more noble in Thessalonica, it, was not, it wasn't that the Christians were more noble than those in Thessalonica. No, it was the people as a whole of Thessalonica or of Berea were more noble than those of Thessalonica because, again, it was in Thessalonica where they immediately get run out of town. Where in Berea, they had the exact same results. There were many Jews that, were believed, that believed. There were many Greeks that believed. But there was, a, there was a lot of other people. They didn't believe right away, but the, you know what they did? They said, we're going to look into this. And you know what? That's a noble thing to do. Nobody should just believe whatever they hear. You know, I don't even want people to be that way when we go give them, when we go knocking doors. I want them to ask questions. I want them to look in the scriptures. I want them to make them make us prove it to them. You know, some people I get nervous sometimes because they're almost too easy. And it's just like either they were already that close or they're just going along to get rid of me. And I'm sure that happens sometimes. But you know what? I like it when people have a lot of questions. I like it when they bring up their objections and they make me prove it to them from the Bible. And then when they look at it and they see it and they're like, yeah, you know what, that's there. Isn't that always a good thing? Wouldn't you rather see that? That's a good thing. That's, and that's, a, that's a noble attitude. And that's how the people were in Berea. And, even, and so the thing is, overall, the people in Berea, they're not all getting saved, but they're at least willing to look into it. They're, look, they're studying the Scriptures and listen, if people would just do that, if they would have an open heart and an open mind in these things, most of them are probably going to get saved and this is going to be a very good thing. But notice that the Jews that were in Thessalonica, they follow them over there and they stir the people up against them. They get the multitude riled up again. And then as a result... They end up getting run out of Berea just as well. And the only reason that town got upset, the only reason Berea was upset 
was because of the Jews from Thessalonica spreading their lies, the, spreading the same lies that worked in their town. And let me tell you something. The only reason anybody in this area has ever got mad at us is because of Jews from Thessalonica. That's the only reason. Jews from Thessalonica, people who are not from this area, people who have never been to this church, people who've never even been to this town, going and stirring things up online. I mean, really, all the attacks that have ever come our way, it's been from people in other places. And it's the same thing. And you know what? That's what happens when you start making noise. That's what happens when you start making a difference. You know, and you have a town that's more noble, like our town. You know what? You're going to have evil people from other places that want ever, they want all the places to be just as miserable and pathetic as they are. You know, that's why our country hates states' rights so much. Because if states were allowed to do what that state thought was best, you're going to have some states that are just shining examples of freedom and prosperity and all these wonderful things, while you're going to have other places that are just California's. And Illinois and New York's, you know, and they don't want that. They want to take everyone down with them. And so it's like, why can't, why can't just all these communists just go move to California? Have you ever thought about that? You know, why can't we just wall off Chicago and let them do whatever they want, be their own state? I would vote in favor of that. Just let them be their own state and just, they can all shoot each other up all they want and we won't do anything to stop them. You know, well, you know, and, but no, they want to take everyone down with them. It's just the way it's the way it is, because it would if a state ever were to truly be free and be allowed to do what they wanted to do. It would that state would be such a great example that it would make all the other states look really bad. So and that's another reason, too. They want this one world government stuff, too. But that's another subject for another day. I don't want to get too sidetracked on that. But it says in verse 14, it says, And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, it's very important to understand what we're reading is a very general overview of, of the events that took place in different cities. Paul goes to Thessalonica, a bunch of people get saved. Jews stirs everybody up, run them out of town. He goes to Berea, a bunch of people get saved. They're actually listening. They're actually giving a chance there. But then the Jews from Thessalonica, they come stir everybody up over there. Paul gets ran off again. But he leaves Silas and Timotheus there. And Paul ends up going to Athens. And so Paul, he would, whenever he would go to a city... We're just reading a general overview. The Bible doesn't give us timelines either. But Paul would always try to stay in a city long enough to teach the people what they needed to know about the Bible and so they could get the churches established. So they could get them set up when it, you know, and, and straightened out doctrinally so they could ordain elders and they could have the proper leadership in that church because Paul wanted to start ministries that were going to continue on and continue bearing fruit until Jesus Christ came back. And so Paul, a lot of times, because he would stir things up so much, or you'd say that the enemies would stir things up so much, he didn't always have the time he needed to actually finish that job and get the job done. And so when he would get run off before he was finished, you would always see him trying to get back to finish the job once things calmed down. And we saw that before where, you know, they went back and they visited all the places that they had been before. What are they doing? They're confirming the churches. Let's, all right, we've been gone for a while. How's this church doing? How's the leadership in this church? Are people following the leader? Is, is he preaching the right thing? What is he teaching these people? Let's go talk. Let's go confirm the souls. Let's go talk to these people. Do they believe the right gospel? Have you ever, I mean, have you ever, and I've, I've you know, I've only been a part of a couple churches in my whole life, but, you know, I've heard stories too of, you know, people, they go to churches or even pastors taking over churches and it's like nobody in the church is even saved. And like the doctrine was just so bad in that church. Nobody knew anything. And, you know, that would be really discouraging to go back to one of these churches and everybody's teaching you got to be circumcised to go to heaven, stuff like that. So Paul would want to check and make sure things were okay. And so, again, remember, they didn't have time to get things established like they wanted to 
in Thessalonica. So verse 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them, Silas and Timotheus, at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And so again, make a mental note of how in this chapter, he's gone from Thessalonica to Berea, and he's now in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy. It says, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Now, notice Paul's zeal and his outrage when he sees this city given to idolatry. And notice, too, how he's disputing with the Jews. Okay? Now, listen, I want to point this out, too, because sometimes, not here, but, you know, people outside this ministry, you know, I've often been criticized because of the fact that I... And I will regularly, and whenever I get the chance, I will go and I will openly and I will publicly dispute with heretics. Okay? And people are like, no, you shouldn't do that. We're applying Proverbs, you know, uh, the reprove not a scorner to every situation that you're in. Even though there's a reprove not a, or you know, there's the answer not a fool according to his folly and an answer a fool according to his policy. You don't have the right as an individual to choose when to answer and when not to answer we're choosing for you we don't think you ever should answer listen there's examples in the bible where we see jesus not answering a word there's examples where we see them walking away there's examples too where we see him picking a fight there's examples you know there's there's a time to fight there's a time to walk away and you know what you know allow people the liberty to decide what they feel like they need to do in a certain situation you know, it's the same thing too, you know, with family. You know, there's there's a time and I've I've talked about this before, where people need to distance themselves from their family because they're a horrible influence on them. But then there's a time too where you need to try to do something to be an influence to them. You've got to figure out, you know, when those things need to be done. You might be in a situation where you're not strong enough, you know, to to do that. Or it might be something that your kids, you know, it, it could potentially hurt your kids. You know, it's not up to me to just get up and say, this is how everybody should do it in every situation. We've got to stop doing that and, and stop, don't fall for preachers who find a proverb, who find a story in a Bible and apply it to every situation. You can find examples for whatever you want in the Bible. You all understand that? You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. If you, want to sh- if you want me to shut up, you can find some verses. Let your words be few. You know, if, if, if you want me to talk, you know, there's verses about stomping your feet and, you know, you know shouting, all that kind of stuff. It's just, I, I get real aggravated when people will just go and just blanket condemn somebody. And you know what? If, if, if we're going to play that game and people don't like me disputing with heretics sometimes, you know, I'm going to pull out Acts chapter 17 Look at Paul disputing with you. Why didn't he just walk away from them? Why is he even letting, why is he even giving them the time of day? You want to know why I think Paul was giving them the time of day too? Is because of the fact he knows that there's going to be people listening whose hearts are right. And, and so he's doing this kind of thing because he's wanting to get an audience. He knows some of the people he's arguing with. He's never going to change their mind. When he stood before Agrippa, I think he probably knew, chances are I'm not going to change this guy's mind. The Herods, they all have a long history of being reprobates. But you know what? There's going to be a bunch of other people standing around that are going to hear what I say to him, and they're going to be won over. And so, allow people, allow pastors, you know, the, um, you know, the liberty to decide when to do some of those things. It's, very, it's a very important thing. And Paul was. You know, he... Paul was very zealous. His zeal, his outrage when he sees the city like that, it was a real thing. And so he did. Sometimes, you know, any, any red-blooded man is just not going to be able to sit around and just let certain things go on without saying something. And, you know, we, do, we already have a very passive enough society, especially men. And it's amazing the things that preachers don't even get fired up about these days. It's like, really? You're not upset about this? You should be upset about this. And you know what? Sometimes they need somebody to step up, try to get them fired. That's what I did the other day. I'm trying to get preachers fired up when everybody's getting all excited about a red heifer thing. Like, this is a wonderful thing. It's like the Jews are rejecting the sacrifice of Jesus 
and replacing it with a red heifer that the Bible is very clear. Why aren't you upset about that? Why aren't you fired up about that? Why are you sharing this like this is a great story? This is a terrible thing. But it's, you know, it's like some, you need, you people need to get fired up. And I think that's what Paul was trying to do here too. So notice what it says in verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics. Oh, this doesn't even sound like a people we should be messing with. Well, you know, Paul messed with them. Encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Scorners. Boy, these guys are scorners. These guys are railers. They're just saying whatever they've got to say against Paul. Why is he giving these people time today? Why is he arguing with these people? Again, because there's some people that are listening. And they need to hear this. And it says, He seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hills and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. And so as a result of Paul going and arguing with all these people, he's able now to get an audience of a bunch of people who are on their way to hell that need to hear the truth. And had he not been stirring things up, had he not been making a scene, had he not been arguing with a bunch of heretics and bad people, he wouldn't have gotten this opportunity. But he says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And you know, that, that phrase that he said right there, that literally would offend everyone there. Because the Jews thought God still was dwelling in a temple made with hands. You know why? Because they ignored the message of the rent veil. They ignored the preaching of Jesus Christ. He's also in, he's insulting all these idolaters that are there too. But this is just the truth. And he hath made of one blood all nations of men for dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not very far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like a gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And it is very important that we get a hold of this truth here. And that is why idolatry was always wrong. Okay, Idolatry was one of the Ten Commandments. Idolatry was always a really bad thing. But people often do. They get confused too. When you go back and you read the story of Jacob and you can see how Rachel was like hiding idols in her father's house. And you know, when you, and when you read Genesis, I mean, you think Rachel would be saved. You even think Bethuel's probably more than likely uh, you know, somebody who's saved, but you know, these people have idols, you know, what's going on? Well, we've got to understand that back in those days before the law was given, there was very little information given to the world. And there were many things that while it was always wrong, uh, and we've talked about this before, how, um, these things are not imputed unto them when there is no law. And so when God would see a nation that had no light, that had no revelation of God, and they're you know, given over to idolatry, while God was still not pleased with that idolatry, understand, he, he would wink at it. In other words, you know, he would, he would kind of overlook some of these things. You know, it's, it's kind of, for example, too, if you all heard one of my kids you know, using filthy language, You'd be like shocked, horrified, disappointed, and you know, and you'd be rightfully upset at them. If you heard Kelly dropping f bombs or something like that, you'd be like, "What is happening?" Okay. Now here's here's the thing though, you know, and we don't like when we see little kids do it, but you know, if you went and you saw some crazy trailer trash mom.
cussing out her kid. Have you ever seen that before? I've seen that before. I've heard moms F-bombing their little kids. You hear that kid say the F-word, you're not really going to think anything of it, are you? It's wrong, but are you mad at that child? I mean, what do you expect? Look at, look at what it's growing up in. Look at what it's around. So, you know, you, you, kind of, you kind of expect that. But in a house like ours where, you know, they're taught right, where they're taught the truth. In fact, if you heard Kelly do it, you'd be convinced that we're not practicing what we preach. <laughs> but at the same time, especially if you knew, okay, you know, if you heard Tommy or Jason doing that, okay, you, would, you would be very disappointed because they know better. Light has been given to them. They've been taught right. And, and so understand to whom much is given, much is required. And back during this day, not much had been given to the world. But now we are in a new era where the gospel is being given to the whole world. Jesus Christ is being preached to the whole world. And let me tell you, even today, today while there's a lot of wickedness in this world today, it's not because Christ hasn't been pre- preached in these places. While there's a lot of wickedness in our country today, it's not because Christ hasn't been preached in our country. He has been preached. The problem is people have rejected that. And let me tell you something. God is way more upset at idolatry today than he was back then. And, there's a, and that's the case with many sins, with many things. God is way more upset with that stuff today than he was back then. Because there was a time of ignorance, but it's not ignorance anymore, ladies and gentlemen. No, and nobody should be doing this stuff today because the gospel has been given to the world and the world is accountable. And so God will not always be so merciful. God expects the world to be saved. Did you all know that? God expects the world to be saved. The fact that there are Bibles all over this country and even all over many parts of the world, the fact that the Bible is so easily accessible on the internet, places like that, God expects people to get saved. God expects people to listen to those things. So we don't want to forget that. So verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he raised him from the dead. And so that man that God ordained, of course, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to judge the world. And one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come back. And let me tell you something. All these nations too, and all the ones that are still big in idolatry are usually very primitive nations. But you know what? We've still got plenty of idolatry with the Catholics too. And you know what? God is going, Jesus Christ is going to judge them. And when we see... Now, you know, these people that have all these, you know, Mary in a bathtub statues and things like that. You know what? Jesus is going to judge these people one of these days. He does not expect them to have those things. And they're going to be in trouble. And you know what? It's not wrong for us to call that stuff out. It's not wrong for us to call these things out. It's not wrong. You know what? I wasn't wrong when I was preaching the other day and I went to the Catholic Church from right here in town's website where they skip in the Ten Commandments Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. They literally skip that commandment and put thou shalt not covet in twice. That, you know, we, we need to call that stuff out because Jesus Christ expects them to not be idolatrous. And he is going to come and he is going to judge this world one of these days and the people who are idolatrous are going to be in trouble. So uh, said it would be wrong. It's, it's wrong for us to ignore these things. It's wrong for, it would be wrong for us to not preach against fornication it would be it would be it is a disservice to our to our nation to our community when we do not preach against immorality we have to do these things because they're going to be judged i don't care what our nation says about immorality i don't care what our nation says about sodomy and things like that this world is going to be judged by jesus christ for it and we should say something and how many before have ever done something or you know you don't admit it but you know, you, maybe you were ignorantly breaking a law and you didn't know it. I remember before when my dad first, we started first getting interested in deer hunting and stuff like that. We hadn't taken the hunter safety course yet, but my dad went and got one of those great big uh, car lights that they used, people used to have. What are those called? Those big spotlights. You plug them into your, I can't even think what they're called, but the big spotlight. 
But we would take that out. We would go out in cornfields and stuff at night and like watch the deer. We'd shine them at deer. You know, it was cool. You know, we'd just watch the deer with a big spotlight. We went and did the hunter safety course where they were telling us all the rules for everything. And they were talking about how you can get fined for like up to $2,000 for doing that. And I remember we were like sitting there in the room. We're like, uh-oh. <laughs> and, and my dad, and I remember my dad raised his hand. He was just like, why, why is it illegal to shine a spotlight on deer? And they said, it's harassing the deer. <laughs> okay. And, you know, and I guess, too, a lot of people will get in the back of their pickup truck and shine lights, and then they'll shoot them with rifles and stuff, and that's how they poach and everything, which we weren't, we never, we didn't even have a gun when we do these things, but we found out that was illegal, and you can get fined a lot of money. And you know what? We were doing these things on the side of roads. We were really glad we didn't get caught. And, you know, it would have been, you know, I'd have been pretty upset, you know, if we, would, if we were doing that, and then somebody saw us doing that, that knew the law, and we're like, you know, hey, you probably don't want to do that. You could get fined up to $2,000, and then later we get fined. Yeah, I knew you weren't supposed to be doing that. Why didn't you tell me? And you know what? God is going to judge this world because of wickedness. And you know what? A lot of churches are going to be in trouble because they haven't been warning people. There's a lot of Christian people that are doing things that God forbids, and they don't even know. You know why? Because nobody's preaching against sin in those churches. That's a horrible thing. And God expects our world to be repenting of these things. And so we better be preaching the truth on this stuff. So verse 32, And when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him, among the which was Dionysius, the Arapagai, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. And so again, right here is why we dispute these things publicly. Did Paul get the multitudes on his side? Of course not. But you know what? There was a few people that wouldn't have heard him who did hear him. And you know what? They got saved. And let me tell you something. When I, when I interview goofballs like Eric Skorzynski, when I, do, when I get on with some of these people, I'm not trying to win them over. Nor am I even trying to win over their audience. I've seen their audience. I see the comments they leave. So, I, I, so many of those people, they were all offended because of the negative stuff I said on there about homos. It's just like, are you going to even try to pretend to be a Christian and be supportive of homos? How does that even work? Do, you, do I think I'm going to win people like that over? Not in a million years. But you know what? There's a lot of people on the fence that a lot of times people like him are pulling their way. And I want them to see somebody standing up against them. I want, them to, I want those people to see somebody speaking the truth and countering that stuff I think we I think we need to do that kind of thing. And you know what? I'm not I'm not afraid of these people. I'm not afraid of their lies. I don't think so low of you that I'm afraid. Well, if you guys you know hear Eric Skorzynski saying the IFB is abusive, you know, while being supportive of homos, I don't think he's going to win you guys over. You know, I I don't feel like you know he he was saying a lot of things different than what I was saying, and I am not the slightest bit worried that any of you are going to end up becoming one of his followers. <laughs> well, what if it happens? Then you know what? I'm glad he helped us <laughs> get the reprobate out of here because, I mean, you obviously never had the Holy Spirit to begin with if he can, if he can win you over on stuff like that. And so, there, so there's always going to be those who want to hear more. And that's why I'm not, afraid to, I'm not afraid to dispute these people. I look for opportunities to do that kind of thing. But now, I want you to look at just the next verse of Acts chapter, 17, or verse, or chapter 18. I'm sorry. So it says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Remember, this is a general overview. And, it's just, and so it's, given, uh, you know, it's not given a lot of details. So we see all these things went down. He's got all these battles with the Jews intense battles with the Jews, and then he leaves Athens. So now turn over to 1 Thessalonians. I just want to point out some things to you here because we're going to see something very interesting. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 28, at the very end of it, it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The first epistle to the Thessalonians was written from Athens. Okay. Now, 
I don't know that that part is necessarily like inspired. That's kind of an added thing there. But it is commonly believed that Paul wrote this while he was in Athens. And it kind of makes sense too because, and we went through all this when we were going through 1 Thessalonians. It is very clear that the Apostle Paul, he was writing to a church that was in persecution. And you know what? When we look at Acts chapter 17, that is exactly what was going on. They were going through battles. We know it was a very young church, a new church, one that he didn't, he was not able to spend the time that he needed to get that church fully established the way it needed to be, to get the proper leadership in there. There was still more work that needed to be done. And so Paul, but Paul still cared about these people. So he's writing a letter of encouragement to them. And so if you look at 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul and Silvanus, which is Silas, and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he writes this letter, Paul and Silas, are, or Timothy and Silas are with him. So uh, we know basically that this letter was written right in between Acts 17 and 18. Now, uh, notice too though, and we've been showing some of this, examples of this, how Paul's attitude, this is where we see a big change in Paul's attitude with the Jews. He has just had major showdowns with them in three cities. Major showdown in Thessalonica. They are persecuting the church there. He's got to write a letter of comfort and encouragement to them because they're under intense persecution. He goes to Berea. Everything's going great. And then what do the Jews do? They come over there. They cause him a bunch of grief too. And then he's in Athens. And then the whole city's getting over to idolatry. And it would appear that even the Jews are involved in this idolatry. And idolatry was strictly forbidden with the Jews. And so notice what, let's just hit a few highlights of some things that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. He said, well, these things sound kind of anti-Semitic and kind of mean. Well, you know what? You probably would have had some unpleasant things to say too if you had dealt with all the stuff that Paul had in Acts chapter 17. And it says for your, in chapter 2, verse 1, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance unto you was that it was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, that was chapter 16, where they were beaten and they were thrown in prison. He says, but we were bold in our God to speak unto you the word of the gospel with much contention. So even though they got humiliated in Philippi, it didn't stop them when they went to Thessalonica to still preach with boldness to them. And so, but there was a lot of contention. Verse 14 says, for ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Man, why, was, why do you guys, are you guys so mean towards the Jews? Well, maybe because we're tired of them stirring up the certain lewd fellows of the base resort against us. You know what? Maybe if some of these other preachers actually would go and preach a truth, they would might offend some of them too. And you know what they would do to them? They would persecute them. And I'll bet they'd have a few negative things to say about them too. But they act like we're not Christ-like. You know, we're, you know what? And the three, thing is, Jesus got pretty mad at these guys too. And you know what? That wrath that's come upon them to the uttermost, it's Christ's wrath. So it says they please not God. And so again, you know what? We, we feel the way that we do because... We deal, you know, and we haven't dealt with battles this bad because fortunately, fortunately, our government does not have the ability to do what this government had the ability to do. Thank God for our Constitution, freedom of speech and those things while we still have it. But let me tell you something. The Jews that are stirring up the certain lewd fellows of the base store, if they could, they'd get us thrown in prison. If they could tomorrow, they would have us dead if they could. Only difference is they don't have the power, but they use everything they can against us. And they get, you know, bank accounts shut down. They get, you know, canceled on social media. They do all those things where these other churches, they're so busy kissing their big toe, waving their flags. Why would they do anything to them? So, um, you know, 
I don't think I'm any harsher than the Apostle Paul was. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Wherefore, when we can no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sit Timotheus our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, and ye know. And folks, where did that tribulation come from? Antichrist. Antichrist brought tribulation to them. Uh, so, don't get me going on that, but so now, look at Acts chapter 18, and look at what it says in verse 5. It says, And Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia. Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, talking about the Jews, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go into the Gentiles. And again, this is often preached too. This, this, this is finally when Paul was done. With the, no, he's still following the pattern of Jew first. This just means when he's here in the city, he's done messing with the Jews. I did what I was supposed to do. I came to you first. You had the Bible. You had the things of God. You reject it. Okay, I'm going to the Gentiles now. And that was just for that city. Paul still cared about the Jews. In fact, it's after this that Paul writes Romans where he says, you know, my prayer, my heart's desire and pray to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But Paul, what we always see him doing is we see him following that pattern of just going to the Jew first because of the fact that they had the word of God. They were looking for the Messiah. Somebody needed to tell them that he showed up. That's all it means. And so they rejected. And so he, when they would reject, he would move on and go to the Gentiles. Today, we have no first century Jews. There, there, there are none left. They've, these people have never been in the will of God. They have rejected the things of God, the Messiah. We go to them just like we go to anyone else. They do not get special treatment anymore. And they didn't, they, they didn't even get special treatment really back then. It was just practical. It just made sense to go to them first. And so it's important that we understand all that. And uh, chapter 17 is the key to fully understanding everything Paul's talking about in First and Second Thessalonians. So very important thing to remember. So with that, let's pray to the Lord. I pray this message was helped everyone. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. Lord, and we thank you for you know the freedom that we still have in this country. Lord, I'm glad that they're not able to throw us in jail or beat us or kill us yet. Uh, but Lord, they are doing everything in their power to try to, you know, disrupt things in our ministry. But Lord, I just pray you'll give us victory. I pray you'll help us to just uh, continue standing strong. Lord, I pray you'll help us to inspire other churches to just stand up against all this wickedness that's going on in this country and a lot of these crazy teachings, Lord, that are that are going on. I pray you'll help us to uh, make a difference in that area, and I pray that we'll just overwhelm this world with truth and. It'll help us to turn this nation upside down, and it definitely needs it. In your name we pray. Amen.